Hello again, witches, seekers, and friends, and welcome to the Fat Feminist Witch Podcast, the show where we do a little ranting, raving, and wand waving. I'm your host, Paige, and together we're going to explore magic and spirituality, social justice, the psychic realm, the natural world, and most importantly, your most pressing questions about witchcraft. Hey, witches. Hello. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'm pretty excited about today's episode. So today's episode is just going to be slightly different. Um, instead of me coming up with a topic and, you know, researching it and telling it all, you know, telling you guys all about it. What I did was ask you guys to send in questions. And I got so many more than I imagined. So what I'm doing today is I am answering, well, we'll see how time goes, but 10 to 11 questions uh, from all of you guys. They're all very different. I got tons of really great questions. So thank you all. Um, and I've actually decided since I have so many leftovers that I'm not going to be able to get to today, that I will continue to answer the questions in future episodes. I'll just answer one or two, you know, at the end of a future episode. So if you sent in a question and you don't hear your answer today, don't worry. <laughs> I probably will get to it at another time. Fun, right? Uh, before we get into it, I also want to announce that next week, May 28th, that's Thursday, May 28th, I have an interview with author Nikki Vandekar about her book, The Junior Witch's Handbook. I also talked to her about her other book, Wellness Witch. Wellness Witch is one that you guys asked me about after I posted a picture on Instagram, so I'm really excited to finally talk to you guys about it and review it and everything. But the Junior Witch's Handbook is is most of what we talk about because this is really cool. It really is a real book on witchcraft for kids, kids around 8 to 12. So for those of you who are at home right now with your kids, you know, maybe your kids have been noticing your witchy stuff. Maybe they've been a little bit extra curious about the stuff on your altar or about what you do during the full moon, and maybe they want to try for themselves. This is a book that has very real information. It's not sugar-coated or dumbed down for kids at all that is age-appropriate for them, including you know, the Sabbaths, the holidays, spells and rituals. Um, and some of them are so timely. Uh, like, um, oh, one of my favorites was a, a Grigri bag to stay connected to friends when you're separated by circumstances beyond your control. And it made me laugh because how perfect is that? But um, yeah, so tune in next week for my interview with Nikki Vandekar. Great interview. Thank you so much, Nikki, for coming on the show. It was. I think you guys are really going to like it. It's also a little bit different from some of the books that I review here. You know, I'm, I don't have kids, <laughs> so I don't talk a lot about, about magic for kids, and people often ask me, so I'm really excited to finally be able to share some with you. That book comes out June 2nd, so that will give you a little bit of time to hear what it's all about so you can get the book for yourself. So let's dive in to some of your very witchy questions. As I said, I got so many. Uh, and what I did was I went, you know, starting from the first ones that I got um, and really took as many as I could. I promise that I will try to get to other answers later. So our first question, actually our first, I think two questions come from Mary Jo. Great questions. Thank you, Mary Jo. So her first question is, we are getting a puppy late in the fall, and we were wondering, what are your favorite protection or blessing spells for your fur babies? This won't be our first puppy, but we lost our lab unexpectedly, and I want to do everything practical and magical to protect the new one. I love this. So 
while I am a cat lady, when it comes to animals, I love any sort of animal magic. My favorite thing to do with any sort of pet or creature that you bring into the home is, you know, a blessing or an enchanted collar or whatever. You know, if they live in a cage, you can enchant the cage or um, a decoration that you hang in the cage. If there's something that wears a collar or a leash, we can do that. So if you want to make an enchanted collar for your dog or leash or, you know, what have you, any of those little things, there are lots of different ways that you can do it. One thing that you can do and that I see is more popular now is to get crystals that hang from your dog's collar. And there are a few that are really great, like a clear quartz is, of course, always great. Amethyst is fantastic, keeps them calm. Rose quartz is really good. It helps them be loved and helps you guys connect. You can also get Dalmatian Jasper, which is specifically good for puppy dogs. Now, this really does look like <laughs> a little ball of Dalmatian. <coughs> And it's a very happy stone. So if you want a very happy dog with which you can all have a lot of fun, Dalmatian Jasper is a really good stone for that. It's also very protective of your puppy friend. Now, the following spell that I like comes from Ellen Dugan's The Enchanted Cat. But it's to enchant a collar. And, you know, cats aren't the only ones who wear them. So here's what you do. You get your collar. You can get some sort of amulet or a crystal or maybe um, a really nice like nameplate made to put on the collar. Something that you can that you've uh, created or made or bought yourself specifically for this purpose. Get yourself some incense, tea light candle, a cup of water, small dish of salt, you know, matches or a lighter to light your candle and some catnip. <laughs> Or if this is a puppy, get yourself some dog treats. So wait until the dog is feeling kind of mellow, which with a puppy might take some time. <laughs> um, but light your incense and your tea light. Uh, sprinkle a little bit of salt onto your, your charm or your crystal or your nameplate. Wave your item through your incense smoke. Pass it, you know, pass it through so it gets all cleansed and surrounded by the smoke. Then you can really quickly pass it through the flame and sprinkle it with a couple of drops of water. And what you've done here is bring in all of the elements to bless and to protect your puppy. So then you wipe it dry, attach it to your collar, and you can hold the collar or charm in your hands and repeat the following incantation. As I said, this is by Ellen Dugan. I didn't write this. <laughs> Um, by the powers of earth, air, fire, and water, I now bewitch my familiar's charm and collar, a magical symbol in this jewel and rhyme. You are under my protection for all time. Um, when you go to, to slip the, the collar or whatever on your dog, make sure it doesn't freak them out. You know, if they don't want to put it on right now, save it for another time. That's okay. Um, but get the collar on, give them, you know, some pets and love and give them the treats. Uh, familiar and friend, accept my gift to you. May this strengthen the bond between me and you. So you can do that for as many puppies as you want. You can do that anytime you get a new collar. You know, if it's a puppy and it's growing, you can enchant each collar or leash or um, anything like that that you take 
that you use to take the dog out. Super, super simple way to do that. I also love um, giving the house kind of a cleanse. You know, before I bring the animal home, cleanse out any sort of energy. Make sure that you say goodbye to the dog that you lost unexpectedly. So this might be something that you want to do is have a little goodbye ritual first to say goodbye to him um, and to make space for the energy of your new dog. Now that's something that you guys would come up with something personal, but again, you can just have a simple candle and a stick of incense and a picture of the dog, maybe his favorite toy, burn that candle down and burn that incense. And afterwards, you know, put it away, make space for the new puppy dog. I love to do that with a new pet. Um, and I do highly recommend the Dalmatian Jasper. Jasper in general is the stone for working with animals. It's the best stone for working with animals. Um, and there are a million different varieties that are great for all different kinds of animals. And Dalmatian just happens to be the best one for dogs, in my opinion. Now, as I said, that book is called The Enchanted Cat. It's got a lot of great spells for, you know, your domestic animals, but it really is cat focused. So I did a little bit of research, and though I have not read this book, I'm going to let you know that it exists, okay? <laughs> so it's the book of dog magic, Spells, Charms, and Tales by Sophia and Denny Sargent. This was released by Llewellyn in 2016, so it's not very old, and it does feature real charms and spells and things like that. In the reviews, it mentions that they rely a lot on um, deities. So if you're not into that, that might not be the right fit for you. But as far as deities go, when it comes to dogs, the deity that I thought of instantly is um, the Greek goddess Hecate. You know, she's the, the dark moon version of the moon. Um, dogs are sacred to her. She was said to always be with dogs. You know, she's a very nighttime kind of goddess, so she has these protective dogs. So if you do like deities and you want to bring in kind of a, like a protective spirit, you can always put up something, just a little something that represents Hecate near where your dog hangs out. So near his bed or the food bowl or what have you, you can put a little thing there and ask Hecate to watch over your pup. That's a fun question. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad that was the first one. Uh, and the second question also from Mary Jo is, is fantastic. Do you have a recommendation for protection stones for healthcare workers? I know bloodstone is one, but any others strike your fancy. Perfect question for right now. Um, really, really great. I'm so glad you asked this, Mary Jo. So I did a little bit of research. Bloodstone is a great stone. I think bloodstone is one of the best stones in general. It's the first one I ever, I ever bought for myself as like a tiny child. But when it comes to um, healthcare workers that are dealing with what we're going through right now, I came up with a few other crystals that I think might be a little bit better in a way that you guys can carry them around and use them if you are a healthcare worker or if you are caring for someone who is ill right now, if you're caring for a lot of people because of the pandemic, these crystals will all be great for you. So first is angelite. Angelite is a very interesting looking crystal. It's like a powder blue color, which is a little bit odd when it comes to crystals. It stands out. It's very pretty. 
it is uh, similar to celestite, but this one has been compressed or compacted. Either one of those would be great, but I, I tend to think angelite is a little bit better here. So the reason why I think um, angelite is great, not only is it just it's just a really calming kind of stone, it's a very calming stone, it can help you relax, it can help you, you know, help your patients relax. But it's very much associated with the throat chakra, the element of air and breathing, the breath of life. Since COVID-19 is something that is very much concentrated in the lungs. It's something that we breathe in. Angelite has that kind of extra little bit of a vibe that can help you with this specifically. As you can tell by its name, angelite is also associated with angels, guardian angels, spirit guides, communicating with those that are here to protect you. So angelite can not only help you connect with your own guides, give you strength, um, give you advice, but it can help you connect to the guides of those that you are healing. Um, that could be a huge boon if you are a healthcare worker. It could give you a little bit of insight. It could help you figure out what the patient needs, what will make them feel best, all of that kind of stuff. So I think angelite is a really, really great stone there. Next, we have clear quartz. And I know that seems... <laughs> Yeah, of course, it's obvious. Clear quartz can stand in for anything, right? But that's not why. Clear quartz is known as the master healer. That's really what clear, clear quartz is about. It's about healing and directing energy. So I think clear quartz is so good, no matter what it is that you're doing, what facet of healthcare you're working in. It also amplifies the energy of you know, when it's added to spells or magic or when it's combined with other crystals, it amplifies their energy. So that is a really great stone to kind of add a little extra oomph to anything that you carry around right now for protection or for blessings. If you want something super, super, super protective specifically, any sort of black stone, um, obsidian, tourmaline, those are your super protective stones, right? Having a piece of those can protect from, well, anything theoretically, right? Um, finally, I thought it would be good to have a crystal for physical energy and stamina. A lot of healthcare workers, you know, you're working super, super long hours, multiple shifts at a time, and your shifts are already 12 fucking hours. So it just goes on forever. <laughs> you're working very hard. Um, there are also less healthcare workers out in the field right now, which means everybody that's left has to work extra hard. So for energy and stamina and dealing with some of the aches and pains of working super, super hard, I recommend carnelian, which is very like fiery and gets you that energy. And amber, which is, it's really good at um, dealing with pain. Those of you who have kids might have purchased your baby's amber teething necklaces. Let me give you a tip. As an adult, baby necks are about as big around as my ankle. So... <laughs> Teething necklaces for babies often fit very well as anklets. <laughs> and um, I love wearing an amber anklet or carrying a piece of amber. I find it to be um, soothing, but not in a way that makes me feel like I need to sleep or calm down. It's still associated with your solar plexus, right? It's still got that, that energy and stamina. So you can just carry, you know, a whole bunch of rocks in your pocket if you like. <laughs> or if you really want to... Um, combine these all together, what you can do is get 
um, a bag, like a small bag or a piece of fabric in blue or green or white, which are associated with healing. And you can put all your crystals in there. And if you like herbs, you can put them in there with a piece of lungwort, also known as cowslip. It's got little blue flowers, really pretty. Um, lungwort, you can tell by the name, is, is, uh, has been used for centuries um, to help heal and clean and work with the lungs. So that can really help um, direct that energy to exactly where it needs to go. So thank you, of course, to all of the people that are working in healthcare right now, taking care of the sick, taking care of the healthy who think they're sick, which I'm sure is very frustrating. <laughs> and um, in general, just keeping us all as healthy as possible while we ride out this whole situation. Thank you guys so much for that. And thank you, Mary Jo, for this really thoughtful question. Okay, this next question, really cool. I had to do some research on this, and I'm a nerd, and I love research. <laughs> it's also about symbolism, and I love that shit too. So this is from Heather. <laughs> my question is about sigils. I'm a chemist working in a laboratory in Arizona, and my whole life is filled with symbols. I've recently become fascinated with alchemical symbols and sigil making and was wondering if you knew of any books that combined the two. With everything going on in the world, I would love to do everything I can, can to protect those I love, and sigil crafting has really appealed to me lately. I appreciate any direction you can provide in helping me learn to create sigils, especially in combination with alchemical symbols. Very cool. Um, so for those who don't know, we use alchemical symbols in modern witchcraft all the time. All the time. <laughs> um, the symbols for the elements, the triangles, those are alchemical symbols. Alchemy was, I don't know, it was, it was a combination of science and mysticism back when science was new and <laughs> mysticism was getting old. We use a lot of alchemical symbols. A lot of those old Wiccan symbols from the, the Silver Ravenwolf books in the 90s, a lot of those are alchemical symbols or based on them. So there is a lot of precedent for combining these types of symbols in your, your practice already. It was very popular with um, like hermetic orders. So uh, Aleister Crowley is the first one anyone thinks of, but it doesn't have to be Aleister Crowley. Um, <laughs> but hermetic orders were very, very into alchemy and mixing it with more of the occultism and mysticism. So I did a little bit of research. I didn't find a super, super easy book like, you know, blending alchemical symbols with modern witchcraft written in 2019. And that would have been beautiful. I didn't find that. But I did find a couple of books that can help you get started um, to combine the two. One of these books is called The Alchemical Mandala um, of Western Esoteric Traditions, and it's by Adam McLean. And this really combines um, alchemical symbols and mandalas with meditation. So that's a good place to start. But this quote from the book is, is really fantastic, and I think it's what you were asking about. Alchemical symbolism provides a deeper understanding of many of the natural forces that we are already familiar with and working with in the practice of magic. 
The symbols of alchemical processes, metals, and stages can all be employed for their unique properties as talismans and the marking of ritual objects. The language of alchemy provides a rich vocabulary for the magical practitioner and warrants further exploration in modern magical practice. And I agree. Very cool. So that book, Alchemical Mandalas of uh, Western Esoteric Traditions by Adam McLean, is a very good place to start. When it comes to the creation of sigils specifically, where I recommend you start is Sigil Witchery by Laura Tempest Zakroth. It's not specific to alchemical symbols, but it is a different way of creating sigils. It doesn't quite rely so heavy on the actual letters in your statement of intention, but it's more about symbolism, about working symbolism that already means something to you into your sigils. So if you were to have, say, a dictionary of occult hermetic and alchemical sigils, which I'm going to give you a link for, <laughs> um, you could use those those symbols to create your own sigils. There's There's a portion where she makes you, she has you make a dictionary of symbols that mean particular things, and then you can combine those to make sigils. So those two books I highly recommend. Um, as for the Dictionary of Occult, Hermetic, and Alchemical Sigils, this is a very old book. When I looked it up on Amazon, it said it was $1,600. <laughs> so I have found a copy through openlibrary.org, and I will definitely email you um, this link, Heather, because I think you'll really like it. But for anyone interested, if you go to openlibrary.org and you look up the Dictionary of Occult, Hermetic, and Alchemical Sigils, you can read that entire old book there really cool, super, super cool book, lots of really cool, um, lots of really cool symbols and information about alchemical practice. Another place a lot of you might not realize we use a lot of alchemical symbols is in astrology. Our planetary symbols are alchemical symbols, or at least the ones for the original planets are some of the later planets, not so much, but these are also alchemical symbols. Um, they're everywhere. They're everywhere in modern witchcraft. And that's no doubt because of hermetic um, occult orders like the ones the OTO, like Aleister Crowley, was a member of. Very interesting stuff, right? I, for one, would love um, a modern book specifically about this, about alchemical symbolism, about using it in modern practice, um, and the history of that and, and ways to actually get to use it. You know, some modern meanings for some of these symbols. So just in case anyone out there is a writer, there's a market for that book, let me promise. <laughs> so thank you for your question, Heather. That was very interesting. And I have a feeling I'm going to be doing a little bit more research on that one because there was so much to find. Like I said, you'll be getting an email <laughs> with some links and some of the other stuff that I found so you can continue your, your deeper exploration. Speaking of astrology, our next question is from Brianna, and it's about astrology. She says, my question is about astrology. On your podcast, I feel you really connect with being a Capricorn. I don't connect with my sun sign, but rather my moon sign. For example, I'm a Leo sun and Pisces moon. I've never connected with being a Leo personality. When I was younger and pre-witchy, I love that, I was always annoyed with the Leo stereotype and the craving the spotlight must be a leader 
mentioned in so many horoscopes. I didn't connect to that at all. When I learned about my moon sign, things made more sense. I'm more of a Pisces than anything else, but when people are like, oh, August, you don't act like a Leo, I don't know how to respond. So my questions are, how do I and others reconcile when we don't connect at all to our sun sign? And how do we look into horoscopes if they only focus on sun signs? Mini question, have you met others who don't match their sun sign? And I love that mini question because hell yeah. (laughs) This happens all the time. I love this part where it's like, I feel like you really connect with being a Capricorn. I can promise you, Brianna, that is new. As a child and even adult, I absolutely hated, hated everything about Capricorn. You know, it's very, um, in a lot of horoscopes, Capricorn sun signs are obsessed with money. You know, they're obsessed with money and with success by any means and climbing to the top. And, you know, none of that really sounds like me. Money especially is something that I I can't think about too seriously, or I start to sweat. Like it's, it's, I'm almost terrified of money at this point. Uh, not very Capricorn, but luckily as I got older, not only did I chill out a little bit and, um, I was a little bit more, I was a little bit more comfortable with being a Capricorn that is also kind of a a free spirit because I learned that those exist. <laughs> um, and like you, I discovered other parts of my chart. Now, what I'm going to tell you to do here, um, looking up your entire birth chart for the first time will blow your mind. Anyone. It's just, it's really, really interesting. So here's what I want you to do, Brianna. Go to astro-seek.com, astroseek. Uh, S-E-E-K. And look up your birth chart. Now, if you have the time you were born, you will get a much more accurate chart. You will also get what's called your rising sign or ascendant. But if you don't have the time you were born, you can still get a pretty good look at where your main planets are. The long and short of your question is, the reason you don't associate with your sun sign is because that might be the only part of your chart where Leo appears. It could even be the only part of your chart where the fire element appears. Likewise, these two signs that you have are different modalities, which means fixed, cardinal, or mutable. You have a fixed sign as Leo, so that's a little bit more, you know, uh, stubborn and rooted to the spot. And then you have a mutable sign in Pisces, which is a little bit more adaptable and flowy. So you can already see the big differences there. When you get your chart, you might see that you have a lot of different planets in Pisces. You might have almost all of your planets in Pisces. Kurt Cobain was the most Pisces Pisces on the planet. Like 65% of his chart all rested in Pisces and the rest was other water signs. That was just his vibe, right? It was the ultimate Pisces. Um, Likewise, other people have charts that are these conflicting elements, these conflicting modalities all spread out. I have a friend who is a Pisces, but her chart is full of Capricorn. And we always wondered why we got along so well. She has a ton of Capricorn in her chart. It's also why she is a very, like, she works hard. She's got everything, you know, going. She's very realistic. She's she's a very Capricornian Pisces, right? (laughs) Um, 
So there's that. I love that you explored your moon sign because your moon sign can tell you so, so much. Your moon is your, your emotional self, right? Like your deep unconscious. And with Pisces, um, there in your deep unconscious emotional part, that is a very strong sign to have in that position. You know, Pisces is a very watery, um, illusory sign. It just matches the moon very well. Um, the Neptune, Neptune and the moon are, are very similar energies. Neptune is just a little bit extra, goes a little harder on like dream magic and stuff. Super cool. <laughs> but with a very strong moon sign like that, it doesn't surprise me that you feel that very strongly. You might also just be a very emotional person. So your emotions are very much a bigger part than this your sun sign is kind of a general overview. Your emotions just might be a little bit stronger than that. So what you can do to explore your moon sign a little further is a book. There's a book called The Lunar Gospel by Cal Garrison. I've reviewed it on the, the podcast and the blog before. I cannot recommend it highly enough. The whole book is just about your moon sign and also what's called the the north and south lunar nodes. So it's it's all moon sign astrology. So I highly recommend checking that out um, and checking out your entire chart. See how much of it is water. See how much of it, um, you know, you'll have a dominant element in your chart. Your chart may be dominantly water or dominant, just something that's not fiery. You might not have Leo anywhere else in your chart. You might not have a lot of these fixed modality signs throughout the rest of your chart. So looking at everything there, that can really explain why your sun sign doesn't make sense on its own. But what you may find is that in conjunction with all of those different things, that your sun sign makes a lot more sense. Different individual elements of your sun sign might make more sense to you than they do to the average Leo. This really, this really happened to me. Like I said, Capricorn is a very like ambition and money. And that's just not how I roll. But I am a very independent workaholic who wanted, who has wanted to be my own boss my entire life. I've never wanted to work for somebody else. I've always wanted to be my own boss. And that is very Capricorn. Um, I am very independent. And when I want something, um, I go do it. And that is a very Capricorn kind of vibe. It's okay to not relate so much to your sun sign on its own. Now, what you can do when you want to read your average horoscope, first of all, after you make your chart on AstroSeek, you can get a more personalized daily horoscope that takes in other par parts of your chart and factors those in as well. Um, but if you have horoscopes that you kind of like, even though Leo doesn't sound like you, read the other sign, read Pisces. If, if that moon sign is what you exude a lot, which you feel really connected to, read that sign. In general, for all of you listening, you can read your daily horoscope for your sun sign, your moon sign, your rising sign. If you want to know a little bit about love specifically today, you can read your Venus or your Mars sign. If you want to know a little bit about money or 
you know, business or travel or expansion, you can read your Jupiter. Um, so there's lots of different ways to kind of personalize astrology. Because they're writing horoscopes for, you know, one twelfth of the population, you, as a very odd Leo, <laughs> you know, might not resonate with the kind of average stuff there. So digging a little bit deeper um, and finding out more of your planetary signs, if you can, finding your rising sign and houses and all of that stuff, there's just so much to explore. And I am sure that if you explore the rest of your chart, Leo will start to make a little bit more sense. Likewise, highly recommend checking out the Lunar Gospel by Cal Garrison and learning more about your moon sign because you clearly connect with it on a very strong and deep level. I hope that answers your question, Brianna. And straight up, there's a million people that don't match their sun sign. <laughs> a million, so many. There are others where it's like almost almost so obvious it's like a joke. <laughs> and others, not so much. No one ever guesses my sun sign either. Never. <laughs> I am almost always another sign that um, is pretty prominent in my chart. Like a lot of people guess Sagittarius. Um, some people have guessed Scorpio, although th that's my rising sign. I guess I get it. They're all other signs that appear throughout my chart. So that might make a lot of sense to you. Over the last three years, I've shared a lot about my ongoing journey to better mental health. And I get messages all the time from listeners who are also struggling and looking for someone to talk to. Unfortunately, it can be very difficult to find therapy that is fully accessible, financially or otherwise. That's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp is an online service that can connect you with real licensed counselors who can be available on your schedule and right where you are. With four different ways to communicate and a wide range of specialties, there's a good chance you can find someone perfect for you all without leaving home. Everything is confidential, and if you ever feel like your counselor isn't the right fit for you, you can switch right away. Not only is the service really affordable compared to in-person therapy, they also offer financial aid for those who need it. It's okay to need help. You deserve to get better. And you can start that journey at betterhelp.com slash fatfeministwitch and save 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash fatfeministwitch. While magic grew out of a fascination for herbalism, a love of witchcraft, and a passion for creating natural, chemical-free products that honor our bodies and the earth, all items are handmade by Clarissa Camp with you and Mother Earth in mind. Made with love, purpose, and a sprinkle of magic, we craft intentional products for mindful witches who have a profound relationship with the planet. Our ritual bath salts and sprays are crafted with herbal and mineral ingredients to support your magical intentions, cleanse your sacred space, provide protective barriers, or just bring a beautiful chemical-free scent to your body or your home. So visit our website to learn more and check out our herbal-infused body butters, lip balms, and healing salves, because right now listeners of the Fat Feminist Witch podcast can get 20% off by going to thewildmagic.com slash fatfeministwitch and entering promo code fatfemwitch20 at checkout. Okay, let's move on. We got another question here. I love this. This question is from Rachel. 
Hey there, I love doing magic and ritual, but I don't cast circles or do much fancy witchcraft. My spells and workings are all really individual and intuitive. I do read up on things and incorporate my knowledge into my craft, but I hate the idea of doing a pre-made spell as is or speaking from some sort of script someone else wrote. Are my witchy ways valid or am I just not digging deep enough and staying in the beginner zone? Rachel, let me tell you, you have fully passed the beginner zone. (laughs) Absolutely, you've passed the beginner zone. So there is no wrong way to do a ritual, to do magic, to cast spells. There's no real wrong way because it is very personal, very individual, very intuitive. Some people love the script. They love the the ceremonial aspect. They love the, the ritualization and the tools and they love all that stuff. And that's great. And other people just don't like that stuff. I am not a big fan of all of that stuff. Casting a circle is not something I pretty much ever do when I work magic by myself. When I work magic with others, there's almost always some kind of circle casting to kind of all bring us together. But it's more of a bringing together than it is a sealing us in with energy type of vibe. So casting a circle is not something that I do a lot on my own. I also live by myself. My whole house is my circle. You know what I mean? (laughs) I've got all these walls and they're already doing it for me. Uh, Likewise, a lot of people love pre-made spells because writing spells isn't easy for everyone. A lot of people love saying an invocation where they say something. They really say something out loud. And a lot of people don't. I love to read invocations. I think they're beautiful. They're poetic. They're lovely. They're rhythmic. They're, They're wonderful. If the writer is good, they're good. But that still doesn't make me really want to say them out loud. I love to read them, but I don't like to use them when I'm actually in that zone because it it really just, it's someone else's words and I can feel that. So are your witchy ways valid? Absolutely. In fact, I would say that what you've written here in your question, you could have yanked that right out of my diary. That that really is a lot of the way that I practice. Now, that does not mean that if you, if someone else, not Rachel, likes casting circles, likes all of the stuff, likes the, the tools, likes to set up a ceremonial altar, likes to follow a specific tradition, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that either. The way to have a valid practice is to create a practice that means something to you. All of your practices are valid, all of them. As long as it means something to you and you feel connected to whatever it is that you're doing. Don't worry about it, Rachel. You are doing just fine. That's a good question. Actually, a lot of people are, they're very nervous about that. You know, am I, am I doing it right? Don't worry so much about doing it right. Uh, actually, our, our next question really follows that kind of line of thinking. So this one is from Natalie. I've got some reading materials and some candles and crystals, but I'm just not taking that first step. I think I'm worried because I felt so much joy and excitement when I started learning about witchcraft. I thought this might be the spiritual practice I have been searching for. But what if I try it out and it's not for me? 
Or on the opposite end, what if I love it so much but have to hide it from my lovely but hardcore muggle roommates? In any case, I understand that I'll never know until I try. Any tips on getting past this initial anxiety to do some magic for the first time? Okay. Natalie, first of all, I want to tell you that you are not alone. I always thought it was weird in like, you know, like when you read a fantasy novel about someone who discovers witchcraft, the first thing they do is try out a spell. And I'm like, wow, ballsy. That is not what happened for me. I read and I read and I read before I tried my first spell. And even after that, it took me so long before doing spells felt like a normal thing to do. I would honestly say that didn't happen until I was in my late 20s. And I've been practicing since I was nine. <laughs> Casting spells. Um, it's almost a little bit like stage fright. You know, you want to make it the best that it can be. You want to make sure that you do it right. You want to make sure that it's for you. But you're never going to know until you try, which is, I, I know you know that. And forcing yourself to just do it is a lot easier to say than it is to actually do. So here's what you do. You start simple, super, super simple. The first thing that you can do is grab yourself a candle. It can be any candle or you can really choose one. Uh, maybe the color lines up with some sort of idea that you want. Like blue is very calming, but it's also very intuitive, right? It gets your psychic energy flowing, same with purple. Green is very good luck and lots of luck and, and new growth. Red is, you know, initiating energy. So you can do something like that, but just, just one candle. It can even be white and unscented. And I want you to take that candle and put it somewhere special. This doesn't have to be a whole altar. It can be anywhere where you feel comfortable. Somewhere in your room here, since you have these roommates. And I want you to just light that candle And sit there and get yourself to a place of, of calm. Um, we call it being centered a lot of the time. If you're familiar with meditation, you know, this is kind of a meditative moment. But I want you to sit there and I want you to look at that candle to really feel connected with that candle and to start noticing anything that you see, that you feel when it, you are working with that candle. Basically, I want you to focus on that thing for as long as you feel comfortable. It doesn't have to be very long. But light your candle, focus on it, see how you feel, see how everything goes. And then I want you to very, very simply make a wish. This can be in the form of, you know, a more modern witchy intention, or it can be a wish like, I don't know, I, I wish that tomorrow... I would get paid a day early, whatever. I wish. Make a wish and blow out your candle. This feels pretty familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> you can blow out the candle, you can snuff it, whatever you want. Um, this feels pretty familiar because you've done it on your birthday for sure. This is a magic spell. What you've done is you've, you've thought of this intention, your wish, and you've really put it onto that candle there. So you've paid attention to the feelings, you've really gotten inside yourself. You've taken a wish and you've put it onto the candle with your, you know, with your words. You can breathe it right onto the candle very closely if that's what you want. 
and then you've blown the candle out to send that intention out. That is casting a spell. Very simple. From there, you can try out any of the little things that you've, you know, that you've researched. You can create a whole big spell if being very artistic or creative and putting all of that stuff together will feel good for you. Or you can do something, again, very, very simple, like the candle. Now, as for your roommates, your muggle roommates, something I've learned um, in the last few years, and I'm still having a hard time getting used to it, is that people now are much more receptive to magic than I ever thought. When it comes to the average person, things like astrology, tarot cards, affirmations, setting intentions, vision boards, you know, all of that stuff is pretty commonplace now. What I would start with is bringing that candle out into the living room or something and lighting it. And if they're like, what's with the candle? Just be like, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm really trying to like calm and focus, maybe get a little meditative. The candle helps me feel nice. If you have any sort of oracle or tarot cards, don't pick anything too scary. (laughs) Some really cool tarot decks are very creepy, but any sort of tarot or oracle cards and just kind of play with them by yourself on the couch, at the coffee table, at the kitchen table, what have you. And if they ask, just be like, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm just trying it out. I thought they were really neat. I like the artwork. I, you know, I'm learning to read them. I think they're very cool. Just start really small like that. And you don't have to do some sort of big thing where you have a house meeting and be like, okay, housemates, here's the truth. I am a witch. You don't need to do that necessarily. (laughs) Um, Not unless you want to, I guess, but slowly bringing out some of these things that are a little bit more mainstream is so easy. What I like to do with my sister is I will read our horoscopes. You can do this daily or weekly or monthly or whatever. So you can ask them when their birthday is, or if you know, and you can just be like, hey, I'm, I'm reading my daily horoscope. Want to hear yours? Very simple way to get started sharing it with them. And from there, you know, if they laugh and they're like, ah, horoscopes, you can also laugh and be like, yeah, yeah, but what's the harm, right? Let's read it. And you can kind of gauge their reactions. Like I said, people are so much more understanding and open to this stuff than they ever were when I was younger. I don't think that you will have um, a lot of trouble with your roommates. I just don't think so. And the reason I don't think that is because they already know you. You said they're lovely. They're lovely. So you guys are already friends. They know who you are. Just because you didn't always know you were a witch doesn't mean that it wasn't obvious. (laughs) You might have been witchy this whole time and you just didn't realize it. But in general, (laughs) I think that uh, I think that you'll be okay. When it comes to any sort of really serious or big ritual, you might have to do that in your room with the door closed and put a little sign up saying, please do not disturb for the next hour or whatever. And if your roommates are lovely, they should understand that. Good luck with that, Natalie. And like I said, just get yourself started with something very simple. And from there, it's like, it's like getting your first tattoo from there. It's like, oh, wow, I can do fucking anything. (laughs) 
past the hurdle. It's time to do anything that you want now. So have fun with it, Natalie. Have fun. Okay, so this one, um, this one is, is very short, uh, but it's a personal question about what I believe. And I think the next two questions are kind of personal and about what I believe. So this question comes from Mary or Mari. Uh, Hi, Paige. I'd love to know what you think of cursing or hexing. In which situations would you deem it ethical to use curses or hexes? I am a fan of people using cursing and hexing if they want to. I'm also a fan of people deciding never to curse or hex if they don't want to. Like I said, I like people to be able to choose what is right for them. Um, but in general, I, I really find cursing and hexing to be so interesting. And that could be because it's a little taboo, right? You know, it's, it's not something that was mentioned in a lot of books I read when I was getting started. And if it ever did, it, you know, it was just don't do it. I recently read and reviewed Utterly Wicked by Dorothy Morrison. And reading an entire book about cursing and hexing was so interesting. You know, it really just made all of it make sense to me. And it made me realize that I do a lot of cursing and hexing type magic anyways. Things like banishing or protection magic even kind of fall on that, fall in that range of you're doing magic to keep someone away from you, to affect your relationship with another person. And not necessarily in a way that a lot of people would consider positive. I don't find a curse or a hex to be much different than casting a spell of protection or of banishing. Now that depends on the curse of he- curse or hex, of course. When it comes to deciding if you are going to curse or hex anybody, I think the best way to figure that out is to ask yourself a few questions. Um, and you can even write them down. Like, um, why am I doing this? Why do I think that this action warrants a curse? Why do I think that? It might not be the truth, but why do I think it? What do I expect to get out of this? What do I expect to happen to me after I cast this curse or hex? And are there some mundane ways that I can deal with this problem? And from there, you can decide if, you know, casting a curse or a hex is really for you. But I think with a lot of, um, well, not a lot, because there isn't a lot. What I, what I think is missing from a lot of the information that you can find about cursing and hexing is what to do after that. What do you do next? Because spell work always has to follow, has to be followed up by real world action. So if you cast a curse or a hex on somebody, what do you do now to bring that into the real world? Some people would say, well, I should, you know, do something in the real world to affect this person. But I don't think so. I think the real world action that should follow a cursing or a hex is something for yourself to heal. Heal from pain, heal from anger, help you get your feelings out, help you, um, get to a place where you don't feel the need to cast a curse or a hex for this situation anymore. I think hexing should always be followed up with healing. From there, it's really your own 
personal judgment. You know, there could be consequences to casting magic like this. And if you are willing to accept the consequences, if you feel that your action is justified, if you feel that you are out of real world options, and that this will be the start of a healing journey for you, I say absolutely fucking go for it. Go for it. Absolutely. That's how I feel about cursing and hexing. I feel like it's something we should all have the opportunity to learn more about. So this next question is from Bat Lady, which I love. Bat Lady. <laughs> um, and she actually had a few few questions, but this second one is really interesting. Being a secular witch, what is your afterlife belief? I read Many Lives, Many Masters by Dr. Brian Weiss, and it really hit home in a lot of ways about past lives, reincarnation, and the place in between death and birth. It's really an amazing read. And apparently her hypnotism sessions are very, very real. So, Bat Lady, this is a fun question, because I do not have a single answer. <laughs> like most people, when it comes to what happens after death, I'm a firm believer that I have no fucking idea what's going to happen. No idea. When it comes to the things that I believe, I believe in past lives, for sure. You know, everything else on the planet gets recycled. <laughs> Our bodies get recycled after we die. You know, they, they go back into the earth and, um, you know, feed the planet. Why wouldn't our souls, our consciousness, our energy, this very real energy, why wouldn't that also be recycled to continue life on the planet? So in that way, I, I definitely believe in past lives. Now, what happens between the moment of your death and the moment of reincarnation? I have no idea. There are a lot of different things. How can I believe in past lives and ghosts at the same time? right? That's a tricky question. And sometimes when I think about it too hard, my brain hurts, but I do. I believe in past lives. And I also believe in ghosts and spirits. Theoretically, what I believe is that there's a lot of time in between. There's a lot of time in between dying and being reincarnated. I also think that not everybody has to be reincarnated within the same time period. You know, there could be hundreds of years between reincarnation, or there could be none. You could be reincarnating very fast. <laughs> I think it's very different depending on the journey of our souls and all of that, just all of it. I think, I think something I like a lot about a lot of different afterlives that are not necessarily, you know, heaven and hell is that the afterlife is a place where you gain wisdom or where you continue to grow. The Egyptian afterlife, the field of reeds, from there you get the knowledge of the gods. You, you, you gain that knowledge that's only accessible after your physical body is gone. It's just for your consciousness, your soul, what have you. And I love that idea because, again, I just love the idea that when we die, we don't stop being a member of the human race. You know, we continue to grow, to learn, so that when we are reincarnated, the person that comes next is different. 
contributes to the world in a different way, lives a different kind of life, possibly inspired by the things that they've learned before? Maybe not. I love to explore the concept of past lives. I love the Akashic Records and any sort of Akashic Record reading or exploration I find really, really enlightening. Likewise, um, in your astrological chart, there are a few places where that indicate karma and past lives, and those to me have felt very, very accurate. I've also had experiences over the last few years where every now and then it's like, oh, this is a past life thing. And I don't know how I know that, but I know it's a past life thing. Can't quite figure out what life it was or anything like that, but I know it. I feel it. It's that deep psychic intuition knowing like, yep, this is it. This is it. And there's not a question in my mind. So yeah, the afterlife. It's hard to determine, right? I think when it comes to the afterlife, knowing exactly what is going to come. That sounds hard. That sounds hard to me. I'm sure there's lots of psychics and mediums that, that have a clear picture of the afterlife and that that has its own set of problems. The unknown is scary. But if someone that absolutely knew for a fact that after we die, our bodies, our minds, our consciousness, our soul all just cease to exist... I don't think I would want to know that for sure. I don't think it really matters what's coming. I think, um, I think what matters is how your belief in the afterlife influences how you live the before life, <laughs> how you live now. I think that's what really, really matters. Now, the first part of your question, Bat Lady, um, I'm curious to know if you've ever read Watership Down by Richard Adams. <laughs> Listen, of course I have. It's about bunnies. It's not really about bunnies, as you say. It's not about rabbits. I have definitely read Watership Down. I've also watched like a mini series that was made recently, which made me bawl my fucking eyes out. Um, I was raised as one of Jehovah's Witnesses, and this book spoke to me of the magic of following your intuition and owning your power enough to pull away from everything and follow it, regardless of what anyone thinks, which is exactly what I had to do when I left the Jehovah's Witnesses. First of all, what a brave thing to do to walk away from, um, to, to walk away from a religion that is not just a religion, right? It's, it's, it's a life. It's a whole lifestyle. It's also a community. It's, you know, you get a lot from being a Jehovah's Witness. You get a lot from your religion. It means a lot to your life. So to walk away from that and to trust your intuition is very, very brave. Um, Likewise, in Watership Down, for those who don't know, the basic idea is there's all these rabbits. <laughs> they have their warren, their beautiful little place to live. But one of the rabbits, who's always been a little bit of an oddball, starts having nightmares. And what he's having is psychic dreams. And his intuition is telling him, we need to leave. This place is not safe. We need to leave. Of course, many of the rabbits think it's a joke. They laugh at him. Some believe him and they take a chance They on faith. They trust his intuition because he does and they leave. And they have nowhere to go. So they have to find a new place for themselves. Which means between leaving home 
and finding a new place is a whole lot of adventure. And adventure and change is scary. You know, not all of the rabbits make it. (laughs) That's awful. I shouldn't have watched it right after my rabbit died. I just wanted to watch something with bunnies in it. I was so stupid. Um, (laughs) Not all of the rabbits make it. Not all of the rabbits continue to trust the intuition. But trusting your intuition and following it, even when um, people outside of you are telling you this is the wrong thing to do, is very difficult. It takes a lot of bravery. But the good part about that is you are exploring witchcraft. You are exploring magic or meditation or maybe psychic ability if you're talking about intuition. What you have is something that a lot of other people don't, which is you already have trusted your intuition with something so difficult and so important. That is really, really hard. It's very hard to trust your intuition. So, so hard. And what you've done is so huge. You've set a precedent. You've trusted your intuition and it's leading you to something new. Now, I don't know if you've made it to a new, beautiful, safe place. I really hope so. But either way, you've already trusted your intuition. And I hope that you can continue to do that because I personally think that it is leading you in a really exciting direction. I don't want to talk shit about Jehovah's Witnesses, obviously. I don't like to talk shit about anybody's um, religion, if I can help it. But you made that change because you needed to. And in general, when it comes to secular witchcraft, it's just a lot more open to what you want. You can create the religion that you want, that fulfills your needs, and that inspires you with your values and ethics. And that is a remarkable amount of freedom. Freedom. So much freedom. So I don't know if I answered your question here. I definitely read Watership Down, though. I was so excited to see it. I'm like, yeah, (laughs) bunnies. Um, So thank you so much for your question, Bat Lady. Uh, These were very wonderful and insightful questions, and I want to welcome you to the world of secular witchcraft and um, congratulate you on taking this difficult step to very, to take that chance on your intuition. And I'm sure that it is leading you in the right direction now. I'm sure of it. Okay, this next question is a little bit more practical. Is there a good or preferred spell or ritual for prosperity for a new business? And this is from Kayla. Hi, Kayla. Um, And yeah, there's a lot. There's so much. Um, There is actually a whole book that I can recommend you. It's called Practical Prosperity Magic by Ellen Dugan. The whole book is, is just about bringing in prosperity. And some of that is through business and and whatnot. So definitely check that out. Um, But I can tell you some of the things that I've been doing since I set up my business. So I love the idea of keeping your first check or your first dollar or something like that, right? Now, with things being digital, you might not have a first physical dollar (laughs) or a first physical check, but get something that represents the beginning of your new business. It can be your business license. It can be your first dollar or check. It can be, you know, 
a printout of the first ad that you put up online, something like that, that represents you starting your business. Um, and find a place near your desk or your workspace where you can, where you can put that for a little while. Put it there on a plate, just any sort of plate, just something to kind of contain things. And pick a day every week to sit down in front of your, your little business representation there to sit down in front of it and to think about your goals for your business and think about what you've done over the past week to accomplish those goals. I like to do this, this on a Thursday um, because that's the day for money or Sundays, which are, you know, very sunny and attractive and lots of energy. So either of those is cool, but you can do it any day that's good for you. And every single week when you do that, I want you to add something to that plate that represents success and prosperity, bringing in new clients. So you can, you know, put things that belong to your business, like your business card. You can put things like coins, your change from your pocket from the week can go on this plate. I like to create green money rice. And I think I've put it on my, I think I've put it on my website before. Um, if not, I might have to. But green money rice is a is a, a hoodoo um, traditional curio item. And what this is, is, well, my rice anyways, it's plain white rice. It's some moon water, Florida water for the alcohol, a little bit of green food coloring. I put a little gold glitter because I'm just cheesy like that. And then an actual cut up money. It can be a dollar bill. It can be whatever. But sacrificing that little bit of money to put in the rice is a really important step. And if you see green rice for sale in a store and there's no money in that bag, I'm just saying don't buy it <laughs> or get it home and add your own money. The money is a big part. But if you want to, if you want to make this green rice, take a small little pinch of it. And every week when you are sitting at your, your little business altar here, add some of that in there. Think about your goals for the week. Maybe put out, um, bring in more clients. Um, allow my ads to go further and reach more people. Um, make my products irresistible. Bring in the money that I need to be to be successful. Stuff like that. You can also, instead of a plate, you can put it on a mirror to kind of bounce all that energy right out there. I love that. Um, and also, you know, if your reflection is in the mirror, that really kind of brings it to you. But I love green rice. That is a really cool little spell. And green rice in general, if it's a store, you can put it into your cash register. You can um, put it outside the door and sweep it around. You can put it in the corners of your physical location there. You can also use it in your own home, in your office or workspace um, to bring in money and attention, and clients. Super good stuff. And I wish you nothing but the best of luck, Kayla, in your new business. And with that, Kayla, I, I wish you nothing but the best of luck. Um, some other things that I regularly, regularly do are burn some candles. You can burn candles in, um, colors like orange or yellow for attraction to bring in customers or clients. You can burn green or gold candles to bring in money specifically. You can find um, 
you can find oils and pre-made candles from um, Coventry Creations. I believe it's called Crown of Success or Crown of Glory. But that is a really powerful spell that can bring in a lot of people. There's lots of cool money magic out there. Like I said, check out Practical Prosperity Magic by Ellen Dugan. I, I think you'll get a lot out of it. Um, and it'll provide you with a lot of money that you can use in all different facets of your business, not just getting started. Wow, okay. So, 10 questions. Thank you so much to all of you who sent in questions today. These were fantastic. Like I said, I got a lot more questions um, than I even anticipated. And I have at least 10 or 20 more in my email inbox. And what I'm going to be doing is in future episodes, I will be answering one or two of these questions at the end of the episode um, so that I can make my way through them. I can still answer this question. If you guys loved this episode specifically, I'm also willing to do a second one of these you know, a little bit later in the summertime. Thank you so much for your questions. So who do we have here? We have Mary Jo, Heather. Oh, Heather with the al the alchemical symbols. Honestly, I'm going to be thinking about it for the rest of like the week. I love this idea of the alchemical symbols as sigils. I love it. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Um, we have Natalie, right? Rachel, Bat Lady, Mari or Mary, I'm sorry if I'm not pronouncing it properly, uh, Kayla and Brianna. And now that I say all that out loud, I believe that's only nine. <laughs> but, <laughs> but anyways, thank you so much to the nine and or 10 of you who, who sent in questions. Um, if you did check your emails because, um, there will be a heads up telling you that not only that you're featured in this episode, but if I have any book recommendations or links for you to check out that I found in my research, I'll be including those in, um, in an email as well so that you guys can continue to explore this particular subject. I loved this. This was really fun. I loved how different all of your questions are. I just, I loved that so much. So thank you all for tuning in today. This was so much fun, and I hope that I was able to answer questions for those of you who didn't get a chance to send them in. Maybe some of you have been, you know, wanting to get a new collar for your familiar or start a new business or explore your, your astro chart. Um, if you are healthcare workers, if you are anyone who is working to slow the spread of COVID, um, or to help the people who are ill with it. Thank you so much. Um, a huge, huge thank you and round of applause. Um, I highly recommend checking out these crystals, angelite, clear quartz, carnelian or amber, and the herb lungwort and creating yourself a little, um, like a magical talisman that you can carry to keep yourself safe and, um, protected and also help you do right by your patients. And thanks for Mary Jo to Mary Jo for that question because that was very wonderful and insightful. So next week, June the 28th, tune back into the Fat Feminist Witch because I have got a great interview with author Nikki Vandekar 
about her book, The Junior Witch's Handbook, which is a book of real witchcraft for kids around the ages of 8 to 12. But as an adult, I definitely bookmark some spells to do for myself. (laughs) They're so good. I was very impressed with this book for children. As you can tell, my review will be pretty good. Uh, So tune in for that next week. If you want to find out more about me, about the show, about the book that I put out this year called Green Witchcraft, you can do all of that at thefatfeministwitch.com. You can find The Fat Feminist Witch all across social media. And if you want to support the podcast, you can do that by going to my website and clicking buy me a coffee. You can also go to patreon.com slash thefatfeministwitch to sign up for our private monthly membership group. Or if you have a product or service that you think could help out or appeal to the Fat Feminist Witch audience and want to advertise on the show, you can do that by going to advertisecast.com slash the Fat Feminist Witch to look at all the pricing and options. I hope you all have a wonderful week, a wonderful weekend. We have a beautiful new moon in Gemini coming up this week. We have a few planets in retrograde, but I still think that we're in a pretty interesting, uh, I feel like things are starting to shift. This new moon is going to be a really good time to make some new beginnings, to create something, to put something out there. So I hope you all have a really wonderful and magical time with that. And I will talk to you all next week.